views expressed on this broadcast of Step-by-Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger do not necessarily reflect those of Take 12 Radio, KHLT Recovery Broadcasting, or our affiliates. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Alan Berger and the Monty Man. Well, welcome friends and family, all of those of you in recovery, those of you tuning in, family members, advocates of, and perhaps some of you who should be, welcome to another fine episode of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with our friend, Dr. Alan Berger. Dr. Berger, where are we talking to you from uh, this week? Well, I am out at the beautiful Palm Desert in uh, California, and I'm out here working with the uh, great clinical staff out at the Betty Ford Center. At the Betty Ford Center. And and you've been doing uh, quite a bit of work at the Betty Ford Center. Uh, You know, what you do is uh, very time-consuming. It it is – it's exhausting, but, boy, the benefits are are, are just – really endless, aren't they? Uh, You know, it's incredible for me, Monty, to see the staff, you know, get that spark, you know, um, fanned so it starts to burn bright again. And the excitement in the the clinical team at the Betty Ford Center is just starting to hum. And what that means is that patients are going to get better care. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that I believe in is that you know, when I'm excited about what I'm doing and somehow I communicate that with the people I work with, it's infectious, man. That excitement just inspires people to, you know, it tweaks their interest, so to speak. You know what I mean? It really sure. it really stimulates their interest in finding um, some path, some new path for themselves. And uh, so I'm just loving the work I'm doing out of here. And uh, and I'm loving our show, man, on emotional sobriety. Well, I, I am too. And, and uh, we are going to be talking about sp- uh, smart thing number five. Tell the uh, tell the folks uh, what book this is from. Well, this is the book I wrote on emotional sobriety called "The Twelve Smart Things That Your Twelve Smart Things You Can Do When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone." You know, and you as I know, as you and I know, Monty, is that. When we put the plug in the drug, when we stopped using, that was important, but that was just the beginning of our recovery. Right. And our recovery has a lot to do with learning how to deal with life on life's terms. And that's something that I was so poorly equipped to do. I never developed the ability to do that. And I see so many other people struggle with that. So this whole thing about emotional sobriety is learning how for us to start to learn how to really take care of ourselves, how we can regulate our own emotions, how we can soothe ourselves and comfort ourselves so that we have to stop manipulating people to do what we want them to do, thinking that if that the only way we're going to feel good is if people do what we're asking them to do. And when I can give up those kinds of demands or what we call our expectations, right? You bet. Then I'm, I'm able to live and let live. And that's the beauty of this program is when you start to get emotional sobriety, then you really learn what that term means, to live and let live. 
You don't have to impose your demands or expectations on other people. You don't walk around being disappointed all the time and trying to enforce unenforceable rules. <laughs> yeah. That you're able to be with someone, enjoy them for who they are, and have a much more authentic and real relationship than, than you've ever had before. And, you know, that's what I'm seeing in my recovery, and that's what I see in the recovery of so many people. So this emotional sobriety is very important. You know, uh, one of the things that I think some people, especially in our 12-step support meetings, um, and I say it like that because many times there's a big difference between the fellowship, the meetings, and the program. And a lot of times what you hear in a meeting is far different than what is actually being taught in the program. Uh, one of the things that I, 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 I've watched people do, in fact, I've been guilty of this myself, is to go through the 12-step process and then instead of looking at steps 10, 11, and 12 as steps to help me to continue to grow and continue to mature, I look at them as steps to help me maintain the first one through nine. And what I'm supposed to be doing is go through the steps, and then 10, 11, and 12 are supposed to carry me even further and, and deeper into self-discovery. And, and in the beginning of it, what Bill called a spiritual kindergarten, so many people get wrapped up in just doing this uh, 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 merry-go-round of going over and over and over again, uh, the steps, and never really coming out of the meeting setting. They They almost become step-dependent. They never grow past what 10, 11, 12 are really trying to teach us to do. And uh, I mean, does that make any sense? you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, l l let me see if I can rephrase that in my yeah. words, Monty, and see if I'm catching the essence of what you're saying. The steps are to help us connect and make a healthier contact with our lives. Right. And if we aren't integrating the principles of the steps and we're just going and kind of um, listening and not putting these things into practice, then they never become a part of you. Mm -hmm. they always become just good ideas, right? They right. It's almost like we intellectualize our recovery. And when that happens, is it, it's, it doesn't become a tool in your life. And what my sponsor, Tom, told me, and I really believe this to be true, and I've seen it to be true, is when you really start to work the steps, they begin to work you. Yeah. They yeah. take over. That there's a whole process that happens with you, and now you're propelled along certain directions that are so powerful that they're amazing. So, so what happens is as you integrate these things and you make them yours, right, they become a part of you. Right, take ownership. Now, that's right, you take ownership. Yeah. Now they just become a part of your life and start to move your life in those directions. And I think, you know, that's how what I hear you talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. How do we get to that point in our life? And that part, of that takes a lot of work. And that takes trying some things on that are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about one of those things tonight that that's people have to do if they're going to get emotional sobriety. And uh, so I'm pretty excited about the topic tonight. Great. And, and, and so the topic uh, for this show is smart thing number five from your book. And this is called Confronting Yourself for the Sake of Your Integrity. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, that sounds a little scary. Yeah, it is scary. <laughs> There's no question about it. It's a scary, scary thing because what it means is that now you're going to be really challenged to apply a very, very healthy dose of self-honesty to your life. Mm-hmm. You know, what we know is that honesty is one of those cornerstones to the foundation of your recovery. Right. Where they say that those two, even those with the grave emotional problems, can recover if they have the capacity to be honest with themselves. Yeah. So getting honest with ourselves and being able to look at ourselves, not as we would like to think of ourselves, but as we actually are, to be able to be honest with us and see our Mr. Hyde when he shows up, to see where our shortcomings are, where our character defects are glowing. To be able to take a look at ourselves in that way becomes so critical, such an integral part of this journey that we're on in recovery. And that's what this whole thing is about, is that when I confront myself for the sake of my integrity, then what I'm doing is I'm letting the best of me see the worst in me. Yeah. And that process, money is so important in recovery. You see, when I'm starting to own the worst in me, it means the best of me is in charge. And that's really I'm good avoiding news. avoiding taking responsibility, the worst of me is in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, mean, that, means, get, that, that means you're getting healthy. You're it's getting healthy. like, you know, they think that, well, God, I, I've got to always be good. That's not it. Recovery is about owning what you're doing, and especially when you're Mr. Hyde's out and running the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Being transparent with yourself, uh, and I, I said it when we started out with the topic, it, it can be can be scary, can, it can be frightening. I, I think because uh, partially one side of the coin is we're afraid to see what we suspect is going on, and the other side may be we know exactly what's going on and we've been running from it for so long we just don't know how to approach it. And, and and that's why it is so important that we taped a show earlier today um, uh, on sponsorship. That's why it's so important to, to have people help you, uh, to, to, to go to somebody, to have somebody guide you through this process. I mean, your books are wonderful, but a person really just can't pick it up and go off by themselves and, and change, can they? No, no, no. We need each other to yeah. get that money. We need some guidance. I mean, we need some work. That's why I do these retreats. It's a chance for people to come and to be able to be in a community with other like-minded folks where we start to explore this stuff and start to deal with it. Um, It's very, very powerful. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So, So let me get into this for, you know, confronting ourselves for the sake of our integrity. So I tell people all the time, Monty, that it's what's right about us that we ignore that creates problems. So how does that fit in with this whole topic that we're on tonight? So let me try to to unpack that real quick for our listeners. So the issue is, is that everybody, a basic need that everybody has is to grow and to develop. And when we're growing and developing, then we're thriving in life. Then we're nourishing ourselves in that we're taking our experience and we're turning our experience into lessons that nourish us and help us develop 
and grow along those lines, right? Right. Well, as soon as I try to live up to a concept of who I think I'm supposed to be, and this concept in my books I have called the false self, so as soon as I let a concept of who I'm supposed to be take over, now I'm no longer using that growth force to actualize my true potential. I'm trying to actualize a concept. So what that means is that when things happen, when I behave in ways that are not consistent with that concept, that I'm going to have to find some way to reconcile that inconsistency. The ways I reconcile it, the psychological defenses that, that start to get activated are things like, I repress it, I don't take a look at what I'm doing. Or I project it, I say, you're doing it. Or I deflect it and I say, I didn't really do that. Um, You made me do that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You see what I mean? So I've got all of these different maneuvers to keep myself from looking at what's really going on. Because if I face that I'm not the person that I think I should be, then I'm left with just hating myself. Wow. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I'm doing a workshop right now uh, with uh, Tony Mesbarger from Benchmark um, on uh, intervention and what it is, uh, getting the family on board face to face and uh, transport and treatment and so forth. And uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm hearing uh, once again is how much the addict or alcoholic will attach itself to all sorts of manipulative tools to to avoid uh really facing their true self and 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 will you know when when you're doing an intervention with somebody i mean uh if you can't stand firm the addict or, or alcoholic that that part of them uh will just run right over the top of you and the, the real sad thing is is that false self will run right over the top of of self. Yeah. Why why oh. are we afraid to look at the good stuff in us? Why are we afraid to look at what's right? Well, see, yeah, it's 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 more this thing is how come we don't know about what's right, Monty? It's 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 even more basic than that. It's how come I don't know that there's this force in me that wants me to grow into my best possible self. See, how come I've never been in touch with that? And But a lot of people have written a lot about this, so I'm not the first one. And there's going to be hopefully a lot of other people that continue to write about this. What we know is that there is a whole war against being your true self. We, each individual has a war against that because we, I, we accept these ideas that I have to be someone else to be okay. Our society does a lot to say that you shouldn't be yourself. You should be what, what we think you should be. Our families give us this message. So from every different angle, we are being bombarded with these messages, don't be your authentic self. Don't be your real self. Don't be your true self. Make yourself into something that's going to be acceptable. And so it's so hard for us to stay grounded in who we are. So we get so lost 
in trying to be something we're not. I love what Fritz Perl says about this. He says, when we try to actualize a concept of who we should be, we try to do the impossible, because that's not us. As soon as you try to actualize who you really are, you're now living in what's possible. But how do you tell the difference between uh, a concept of, of what maybe you've created or has been laid before you uh, and who you really are? How do you tell the difference? Well, that's a great, great question, right? It's yeah. almost like that question about how do you know if you're doing God's will? <laughs> yeah, right, you know, right. I love those kinds of questions because they're so important. So here's what my answer would be, is when you are actualizing your true self, more and more possibilities open up in your life. And there's fewer and fewer rules. When you are trying to actualize a concept, the road narrows. And there's a lot of rules. So would you say... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, would you say that that one way to tell when when you're actualizing your true self that even though circumstances around you may not change, you are more at ease? Yeah, you can say that. Because, see, when you're connected, when you're going down the right path, it just feels right. You're not swimming against the current. Sure. You're not a salmon going upstream. Yeah. You're flowing with the process. You're not white-knuckling it. You're not stressed all the time. You're not... You're right. You're You're not trying to impose your will. You're not... Your instincts aren't colliding with other people. You know, yeah. Bill Wilson talked about that a lot, about the, our collision of our instincts. Sure. Right? Where our will is in total collision with everybody else's because we want everything our way. See, that's when we're actualizing a concept. We're making a lot of demands on ourselves and on the world about how yeah. we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be. So we do to other people what we're doing to ourselves. See, that actually turns out to be the golden rule is that when. What we do to ourselves is what we end up doing to other people. That's true. So if I've got all these ridiculous ideas about who I'm supposed to be, well, you can pretty well know that I'm going to be putting those ideas on you. You, you bet. You bet. And if I'm putting them on you and you're not healthy, then I'm part of your problem. I'm bombarding you with concepts. Yeah. There you go. That's, wow. That's right. And then we're trying to live up to concepts. Instead of having a real relationship. Yeah. And you pe- know, let's get rid of all these concepts and let's, you know, in a healthy relationship, I don't have any rules for how you are. You could talk to me any way you want to talk to me. You can say to me whatever you want to say. If I don't like it, I'll tell you I don't like it. If I don't want to put up with it, I won't put up with it. But I don't try to control you. Yeah. I get more concerned with regulating myself instead of trying to regulate you to be the way I think you should be. You know, I I, um, I I can see where I've done this with with my youngest boy when it comes to um, to certain things that are surrounded around what his school does. And, and, and let me give you an example. And, and folks may not think that this is what you're talking about, but I, I think it is. This is one way, and it's really camouflaged. It looks like uh, concern, but really is it's about control and trying to uh, uh, fit things the way I want them to fit. This is this is what I'll say. Colin will come home from school, and uh, there'll be some sort of rule or guidelines or some 
crazy thing that I think is just bizarre that has been imparted to him by the administration, a teacher, or a sporting event. Mm-hmm. And what I will say, and I'm getting better at not doing this, but I have caught myself. I'll say this. Well, you know, when I was in high school, they didn't do that. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, and, and he reminds me, and he, he's sharp enough and quick enough, he, he reminds me, Dad, uh that was in the dark ages, <laughs> you know, but, but I get frustrated because I, I know doggone it that when they did that, when I was a kid, that was the right way. But you know, when I really think about it, when I go back to when I was his age, I didn't think it was the right way uh, at all, you, you know. And so what I do is I put this concept on him that I don't approve of what's going on because it isn't the way when I was growing up and uh, kids need the approval from their folks, you know? And so what it does, it comes across to him like I'm, right. ju- I'm judging him. Mm-hmm. Does that, does that make That's sense? Right. Yeah. Total. It makes total sense. Yeah. So, you, so you're playing your, your experience on him. Right. You know, and, and what that does is that that separates you from, you know, experiencing him and the experience that he's having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it also tells to him, tells him that something's wrong with the experience he's having. Right, and there really isn't. There isn't, no. It's no. experience. <laughs> it's not yours. <laughs> going through his life in his way, you went through life in your way. Sure. And, you know, it's it's that, it's just that, that's that live and let live, right? Right, right. Back right. to that whole idea. Right. So why don't we take our break, and then we'll come back, okay. and I'll, I'll uh, go into a few other things for our listeners to, to help unpack this a little further. Great. All right, folks, don't go away. More with Dr. Alan Berger on confronting yourself for the sake of your integrity. Smart thing number five here at Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety. We'll be right back. Addiction is the number one health threat in our world today. It affects more people than any other malady, and yet the solution to this health crisis gets the least amount of attention. May I introduce to you a media outlet that's doing something about that. KHLT Recovery Broadcasting, home of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Shows, is the world's only faith-based radio station broadcasting 24 hours a day, seven days a week with the solution to the addiction problem. Visit Take12Radio.com for recovery talk and positive music and be ready to be set free from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. That's Take12Radio.com on your internet dial. My baby boy was a very good sleeper. He would nap in the morning and nap again in the afternoon, so my routine became that I would drink the first half of the time I expected him to sleep so that I could pass out the second half. Even during my pregnancy, knowing that it might be harmful to the baby, I could not stop drinking. The fear of any harm to that child was not enough to make me stop. Sometimes I would try to go to the park with him, but I was becoming really fearful of people finding out what a sick person I was. Today, since I joined AA, 
I don't have that sensation anymore at all. I have a purpose in life today. I know who I am. I know where I'm going and I feel good about it. I can be a mother to my child and I can be a wife to my husband and I couldn't be any of those things when I was drinking. Alcoholics Anonymous, it works. Look us up. Check your phone book, newspaper, or aa.org. Uh, this is Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger. We are talking about smart thing number five uh, from his book, Confronting Yourself for the Sake of Your Integrity is smart thing number five. I hope the listeners were listening to you when you were challenging yourself about what you did with your son. Yeah. See, that's the cool thing. Um, you were able to confront yourself yeah. about what was going on and take a look at yourself, Monty. And you're doing that because you're trying to live a really, really good program. Yes, yes. And, um, and wow, that's so important. That's so, so important in terms of, of what's going on. And it's just a great example to our listener, listeners mm-hmm. in terms of how to do this. And that's a part of my recovery is to being able to look at myself and you know, when I'm being really a jerk is to be able to go to my wife and say, you know, that was really a jerk thing that I just did. And I'm sorry. Yeah. You no, know, I don't. That's not who I want to be in this thing. And, and it, so it, you it, know, it takes it sometimes it, it takes practice. I mean, you know, when I first started on this this journey uh, of of growth, maturity and and self-discovery, um it what there were certain things that that just were not automatic. I, I I mean, people had to tell me. I gave people permission to speak into my life. Uh, sponsors, pastors, uh, mentors, spiritual advisors. I you know I said if you see me going down the wrong road, please point it out to me because sometimes I'm so blind I don't know that I don't know that I'm doing that. But I have to tell you. Uh, as time goes by, and as we put these principles in into action, as we uh, take these marching orders, if you will, and apply and implement them, then more things become part of us, like you alluded to uh, in the beginning of the show. They, they become a part of us. And, and I'm not saying that they always happen automatically, but more often than before, uh, I will catch myself and, uh, before I speak more often than than I did, um, or if I do speak and it's not right, I I will I will recognize it right away. Whereas before, I was callous to it. Um, it, it has a lot to do with with developing a more sensitive spirit, a more uh, becoming thick skinned and tender hearted, if you will. Uh, but it takes time, and I would just encourage people that. Uh, if you're not at a place that you are uh, uh, assuming that you're supposed to be, because that's part of what we're talking about, right? A concept of where you should be. Uh, if you if you're quitting, if you're giving up on yourself because you're not fulfilling this this expectation of this concept that you've created or that has been created for you, uh, I encourage you don't don't stop midstream. Uh, because the rewards, I, I, I can't tell you how beneficial they are. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So true, man. It's so true. And that's what we really want to encourage our listeners to get is that this program's not about being perfect. Right. It's 
about being honest and taking responsibility and being accountable. And when I do that, then I'm able to get a certain degree of freedom from my character defects. But without a ongoing practice of self-examination and looking at myself and confronting myself in these ways, then it's very easy for the worst of me to start taking over. Yeah. Yeah. And that's ugly. That gets really ugly. And we fall into we, we fall into old behaviors. They become current behaviors again. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true, Money. That is so true. So so let me let me ask you this. When 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 a person is confronting themselves, uh-huh. uh, wait, give us an example. Let me tell you. Let me tell how you does how that it look? happened for me a few times. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it, it was really amazing for me when when I came into recovery and I started to look at some of this stuff. And I I've, I also want to share with my listeners that being in therapy was a very important part of my whole recovery because that helped okay. me get more honest with myself. Is to sit with a therapist who would help me look at myself and discover things about myself that I wasn't able to see. And so that was a big, big part of the process for me. But one of the things that was driving so much of my behavior was this this idea I had that I had to be perfect. And I remember when I was in a session with Dr. Lelia Gary, one of the things that she had me do is she had me own this. And she had me start making declarations like, um, um, I, in talking to myself, so I put myself in a chair, and I started talking to myself, and I said, look, Alan, I demand that you have to be perfect, and that unless you're perfect, you're not going to be okay. And I started to say all these things, these outrageous things that I felt towards myself, but that I never looked at. And when I started to realize all of the pressure that I was putting myself under and how I was setting up myself to fail with these impossible, right, expectations, there came such a sense of relief that I didn't need to worry about being perfect. I just needed to worry about being myself. Unenforceable rules, Dr. Berger. Yeah, that's right. That was such such a relief for me, Monty, such a relief. Wow. Um, so this is what I say in my book. I, 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 so I'm going to read a little portion of it. So okay, good. In here. So this is in the chapter on, obviously, that we're talking about. It's, it's this uh, smart thing, number five, confronting yourself for the sake of your own integrity. So this is what I say, is that we need to construct a personal crucible of self-confrontation. In this crucible, we stop avoiding ourselves and stop focusing on the faults of others. We confront our own personal issues and identify the ways that we are contributing to our unhappiness. Boy, let me say that again. We confront our own personal issues and identify the ways that we are contributing to our own unhappiness. When we do this, we begin to grow up. What are the things we need to confront about ourselves? Well, the usual suspects are our character defects, our shortcomings, and those we have hurt. These are important issues to face. There's no doubt about it. But we also need to confront ourselves in one other area. We need to be able to see and identify our behavioral patterns and their emotional themes. This is revealed most clearly when we examine the conflicts or struggles that we have with others. 
This is a tall order, and then he asks, why do I have to go to such troubles? Isn't there an easier way to achieve emotional sobriety? Nope, there isn't. <laughs> go through these troubles because they ensure that we establish and maintain a sense of humility, a prerequisite for recovery. We cannot achieve humility without authenticity, without facing who we really are. And the way we find out who we are is by confronting ourselves. Yet the goal of self-confrontation is about more than just seeing ourselves as we are. It's about figuring out how our behaviors differ from what we know to be right and then changing our behavior so that they harmonize with our best self. When we see ourselves as we really are, we can begin to align our behaviors with our recovery, our values, our principles, our deepest desires, and our basic needs like self-actualization. This is the very definition of integrity. Integrity is wholeness. It is a result of living an authentic life of true speaking. Integrity, wholeness, authenticity, true speaking, these are all words we have to describe. A person whose actions, value, and beliefs and innermost self work in complete harmony. When we develop this new authentic relationship with ourselves, we will be open to learning as much as we can from our experiences. We will then be able to extract the unresolved personal issues embedded in our emotional reactions and in our conflict with others. So that gives, I hope, a sense of what this process is about and what happens when we do it. And 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 then you're able to then you're able to to walk through life, and go through some of the storms of life with a whole different attitude and a whole different outcome, can't you? That's right. Yeah. 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 That's right. Be- because pets are going to pass away. Loved ones yep. are going to die. People are going to offend you. People are going to do things that hurt. Circumstances are not going to be comfortable. This is just yep. the fabric of life. Uh, yep, that's right. Yeah, and we can either choose to give up and, and roll ourselves up in a ball and, and never peek out, out of the, the windows or the doors of our home, yep. or we can participate in life and... And, and live free. That's right. That's right. You got it, buddy. Yeah. All right. So, uh, great stuff. Confronting yourself. You know that word con- confronting. Uh, it, it sounds scary, but but it's it's really one of the healthiest things a person can do. We talk about it in our fourth step. Uh, we, we talk about uh, looking at at uh, our character defects and and all that kind of stuff. But but uh, I would just encourage uh, the listeners. Uh, that if you've gone through the twelve-step process and you're still feeling empty, that that maybe there's more to learn. And, and I, I know I sure am learning, learning a lot more. And uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Alan Berger uh, for doing this show, um, I, I continue to grow in uh, in my life, in my recovery, and, and in my walk with other people. Thank you, Dr. Berger, so much for all you do. Well, thank you, Monty, and right back at you, brother. I love you, and I love the service that you are to those of us that are are trying to find a way out of this mess that addiction creates in our life. Yeah, you bet. All right, Dr. Alan Berger is our guest here at uh, our guest host here at Take12Radio.com on Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety. His website is abphd.com. Follow the links here. All right, until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Dr. Alan Berger. And we're wishing God serenity for you.
This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.